Hello everyone, if you don't know me, my name is Tom Barrett, I'm one of the ministers here. And as we begin a new four-part teaching series today on conflict and forgiveness, tonight we're going to spend a whole sermon looking at the topic of conflict. And I wonder how that topic makes you feel. Some might be thinking, conflict, really? I've come to church to be encouraged. Why do we have to think about such a negative topic? Or others might think, we are a bunch of Christian brothers and sisters. Surely we shouldn't need to think about conflict, should we? Or others might say, good, let's work on how to solve conflicts quickly, get them out of the way, so we can get on with actually living the Christian life. Maybe some of those summarise how you're feeling. Maybe you're feeling differently. The thing is, wherever you find human beings together, you will find conflict. It's certainly out there in the world, with Israel and Gaza filling our news feeds. It's in the political discourse of our country. The lead-up to yesterday's referendum often descended into name-calling rather than serious debate, I thought. And of course, conflict is a reality closer to home, in small doses or large. Just before I left home to come here tonight, uh, two of my children we're having a vicious argument at the dinner table. She's my sister. No, she's my sister. No, she's my sister. We have that sort of conflict in homes. Uh, and we also have bigger and more serious conflicts in homes, don't we? In this series, we're going to try and consider conflict in a bunch of different places. Conflict in homes around the dinner table. Conflict in workplaces. Conflict in our culture. And, yes, conflict in the church. We're going to try to consider various different roles that you might find yourself in in a conflict. You might be the person who has been hurt and wronged. Or someone might come up to you and say that you have hurt and wronged them. Or you might be an onlooker as a conflict rages between people close to you. Next Sunday, we're going to think about conflict responses. Good, bad and ugly ways that we might respond to conflict. We're going to look at peace faking, peace breaking and also peace making. In the third installment in the series, after All Saints Day, we're going to look at speaking and hearing truth. The importance of being able to speak up and name problems and the importance of receiving criticism well and how to do those things. And in the final week, we'll look at forgiveness what it is, what it isn't, why it's so important, and what to do when it seems impossible. But tonight we're going to focus in on conflict itself. You might prefer to pretend it doesn't exist. You might prefer to think that it's just something that happens out there, not in here. But today we're going to look at how actually conflict is an opportunity conflict situation is not an obstacle to living the Christian life. It's the context for living the Christian life. It's an opportunity. We all know about gospel opportunities. When someone says to you, oh, you go to church, do you? I've always been curious about that kind of thing. That's an opportunity to serve Jesus, right? With your words. In the same way, when conflict comes your way, it's an opportunity to serve Jesus. That's what we're going to explore tonight. 
We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, can you open that up with me? Uh, Church Bibles, it's page 1664. 1664. Ephesians chapter 1. The book of Ephesians starts with a long list of reasons why God is praiseworthy. You look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Jump down to verse 5. It says he's praiseworthy because in Christ he has adopted us as his children. In verse 7, he's praiseworthy because in Christ he's given us freedom, the forgiveness of our sins. You can see a bit of conflict resolution at work already, can't you? But here's the climax. In verse 9, God is praiseworthy. Because he has made known to us the mystery of his will. Talking here about a mystery, something that was previously hidden but has now been revealed. The truth about what God truly wants to achieve in his world. The goal towards which all of history is building. And here it is at the end of verse 10. God's big project is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. To bring all of creation together under the headship of Jesus. To bring peace and reconciliation where there was previously division and hostility and conflict. That's God's big project. The place where that unity is found is under the headship of Jesus Christ. Now amongst the early Christians that Ephesians was originally written to, there were two Cree groups that had historically been divided, separated and at odds with each other. They were the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews had centuries and centuries of Old Testament history being the chosen people of God. Their relationship with God had been a pretty rocky relationship at times, but that was their status ever since Abraham's time. But the Gentiles had none of that background. They'd been on the outside. Ignorant. Hostile to God and to his people. But look over the page at Ephesians chapter 2 that we read earlier. In Ephesians 2 verse 13 it says, Now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he had put to death their hostility. Do you notice the horizontal dimension to what God is doing here? There is, of course, a vertical aspect of salvation. Both Jews and Gentiles need their sins to be forgiven their relationship with God restored. But what God's doing is bigger than that. It's also got a horizontal dimension. Have you got into an elevator recently? I got into a very small lift in the city yesterday. You know how if you get into a lift with a bunch of strangers and you're all going upwards together, maybe even to the same floor, you have to mind your own business? The thing to do is to just sort of keep your eyes to yourself and pretend the other people aren't there. It's only if the lift breaks down that you start talking and become best buddies. You know what I mean? Or is it just me? Anyhow, what God is doing in the world is not like elevator etiquette. 
It's not just, oh, we all happen to be going in the same direction. God's plan is not to save a list of individuals. His plan is to bring unity to all things. To make peace. To make one new united humanity in place of the old divided one. To save a people. Not just a collection of persons. All of this means that resolving conflict amongst Christians becomes an incredibly important thing. Resolving conflict, healing divisions, making peace, building unity is part of us joining in with God's big project. It's super important. Imagine you get a high-flying graphic design job with a major design agency. And one day the CEO calls you into her office and assigns you her personal priority project. She gives you the project and says, this is the briefing, I want you to draw me a square. So you go away, you work hard, you come back a few hours later and you show her this. This is not the goal that the CEO had in mind for her big project, right? You've left out the horizontal dimension. So she gives you a chance to try again. You go away and you come back with this. She asks for an explanation and you say, oh yeah, those, those green and red lines, they just didn't get on very well. You really haven't grasped what the CEO's project was all about, have you? The horizontal dimension is a major and a non-negotiable aspect of God's big project. To bring unity to all things under Christ. Apparently, every letter in the New Testament contains a command to live at peace with one another. I didn't have time to check that for myself. Feel free to go home and do some reading and see if that's the case. Uh, And if you can find one exception, then I think the bigger point still stands. If creating peace and unity are what God is doing in his world, then when you and I encounter a conflict situation, it's not time to close our eyes to it. It's not time to back away. It's not time to go in hard for a quick win. It's an opportunity to step up and join in God's work of bringing peace and unity to the whole universe. Okay, so Ephesians 1 has showed us what God is doing in the world overall. But connected to this is the project that he is doing in your heart. Colossians chapter 3 says, As Christians we have taken off our old self and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. God has a great plan for your life. But it's not to make you rich or famous. It's to make you more and more like Jesus. And conflict is an opportunity for this transformation to make progress. A writer called Ken Sandy is one we'll be hearing a bit from in this series. He's a Christian conflict expert. He's been working in this space for over 40 years. Uh, He mentions the ABC principle. Because everyone likes a good acronym, right? His ABC principle is adversity builds character. He elaborates like this. God uses conflict to stretch and challenge you in carefully tailored ways. As you worry less about going through conflict 
and focus more on growing through conflict, you will enhance that process and experience the incomparable blessing of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. I think there are a bunch of ways this can work. Firstly, conflict situations can grow you in self-knowledge. Somebody who comes to you with a criticism or a complaint is actually doing you a favour. In the book of Proverbs it says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Their input is valuable, even if you decide that only part of it is true. Elsewhere in Proverbs it says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is stupid. A conflict situation, when we manage it well, is an opportunity to unearth what's going on inside ourselves. The book of James asks, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. This means that when I'm in a disagreement and I'm getting really riled up by it, it's an opportunity to work out which of my buttons is being pressed right now. And and what's that button connected to inside me? What desires are battling within me? What is it that I desire but I don't have? Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict situations are also opportunities to grow in understanding other people. You can stop and think, what buttons have I pressed for this person? What are those buttons connected to? It might be sinful desires, but it also might be just unmet needs, past hurts. It might be some good thing that they are particularly passionate about protecting. It might just be an aspect of their personality which is just really different to yours. When we approach a conflict situation with the right stance... It's an opportunity to grow in understanding others. Conflict is also an opportunity to grow in patience and tolerance. The thing about patience is it only grows when it's stretched. You never get more patient just by sitting in a comfortable chair by yourself. Have you noticed that? A conflict might be an opportunity to stretch those muscles of tolerance and endurance of people that you just don't gel with. And as you exercise those muscles, you become a more patient and tolerant person. Conflict situations can also be opportunities to grow your skills in problem-solving, in truth-telling, in calm negotiation. And of course, an opportunity to grow in the skill of giving and receiving forgiveness. More on that later in the series. My point here is that recognising these opportunities will lead us to lean into conflict rather than running away from it or just blowing everything up as soon as the conflict begins. But there's a third major reason why conflict is an opportunity. Dealing with conflict well is a significant part of us bearing witness to the world. God's plan all through the Bible is for his people, which he has saved to be his representatives on earth. 
In the Old Testament, he gave his laws to Israel so that they would run a nation of justice and compassion and the rest of the world could see God's character. We heard a bit of this in our Old Testament reading today from Isaiah 49. It's a passage about the restoration of Israel who had been in exile, but along the way it shows us what God's purpose for them was. Verse 3 said, The Lord said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will display my splendour. And down in verse 6 we heard, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Now this great purpose, of course, reaches its fulfilment when Jesus arrives. Jesus is the true Israel, the ultimate servant of the Lord. And this mission continues to play out in the followers of Jesus, who are the new Israel of God. Jesus' church are the representatives of his coming kingdom. A light for the rest of the world. Come with me in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Church Bibles, it's page 1648. Page 1648. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 17. Where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. When the world looks at a bunch of Christians, it's looking at part of God's new creation. We are Christ's ambassadors. Together we make up an embassy of God's coming kingdom. Now the embassy is not as good as the real thing, of course. No offence to you guys. But the way things are done in the embassy reflects how things are done in the homeland. Now, I was procrastinating reading Facebook while I was meant to be working on my sermon yesterday, and I got the perfect illustration. Uh, A family from Morning Church, their adult son, is in Japan doing missionary work. And I saw yesterday that he posted on Facebook that he'd been to the Australian embassy in Japan to vote in the referendum. His Facebook post included a picture of the democracy sausage that he was about to eat as part of that process. Because in the Australian embassy, you do things Australian way, right? And that's what it's like in the embassy of God's kingdom. As a group of Christian believers, we are citizens of God's coming kingdom. In this world, we are Christ's ambassadors. We bear a message from King Jesus and it's the message of reconciliation. And so the way we do business needs to match the message that we're carrying. We need to live like ambassadors of reconciliation. Like people of peace. 
And so when we encounter conflict, we need to step up and handle it well. This applies to how we relate within the church. A church that is bitterly divided and racked with factions and unresolved issues is going to be very ineffective in selling a message about reconciliation and peace, isn't it? That is why, in John 17, Jesus prays for you and me. Jesus is praying, and he prays for everyone who will believe in him. He prays that we may be one, so that the world will believe that Jesus is sent from God. This makes resolving conflict within the church incredibly important, doesn't it? Because us being united in this way is the way that the world will know Jesus. But being ambassadors of reconciliation also means working for reconciliation and peace in the world around us, where we can. Christians bear a message about healing, and so it's right for Christians to be into healthcare. We bear a message about the righting of all wrongs, and so it's right for Christians to support justice. But what we just saw in 2 Corinthians 5 is that we bear a message about reconciliation. As we saw at the start, this is both vertical and horizontal reconciliation. And so it's right for Christians to work in the world to promote peace and try to resolve conflict. Conflict between individuals around us, Conflict between nations where we have influence and conflict between groups in our own country. Christianity Today magazine reported this week on how Israeli and Palestinian Christian leaders are responding to the awful events around Gaza. One of those quoted is a Jewish Christian, Eli Birnbaum. He's the director of Jews for Jesus in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And the article says, Birnbaum counseled his children to stand strong against the desire for hatred. He challenged Israelis to seek justice without vengeance. And he asked everyone to remain genuinely concerned for Jew and Palestinian alike, while praying for Gaza and its liberation from Hamas. Meanwhile, there are probably about a thousand Christians in Gaza And the three churches there are providing refuge for displaced civilians. The Catholic priest in Gaza wrote online, I ask you for a lot of prayer for the cessation of hostilities and for the numerous victims on one side or the other of the war. Palestinian Christians elsewhere in Israel have offered accommodation for any Jewish Christians who have been displaced. The chairman of the Convention of Evangelical Churches in Israel said in a sermon that Christians must be peacemakers. He asked, what can we as Arab-Palestinian Christian citizens of Israel provide in a time like this? The answer is Jesus. Conflict is an opportunity. Amidst all the horror going on in the Middle East right now, If Palestinian and Jewish Christians can stand together and love one another and pray together, what a message that sends to the rest of the world. We Christians are ambassadors of reconciliation, representatives of the God of peace. 
And so what an opportunity is provided in situations of conflict for that light to shine brightly in darkness. In our own country, there is unresolved business between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. The result of yesterday's referendum is that an Indigenous voice to Parliament won't be added to the Constitution. People would have voted against that change for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, For many of them, it would be that they just didn't think this was the best way to make progress in reconciliation. But whether you're pleased or disappointed by the outcome yesterday... Christians need to remain energised to pursue reconciliation between these two groups. We must keep praying. We must support concrete steps forward. It's not like this issue just went away when the polling booths closed yesterday. The issue wouldn't have gone away whatever the result was. Having an us and them mentality or just keeping our distance, or just ignoring the issue, these are not the ways to be ambassadors of reconciliation. The answers are not simple or quick, but we must stay engaged, because working for reconciliation illustrates what we're on about as the people of God. We've come a long way. I'd like to finish with a final story about God's big project in action. A little story that I read in Eternity News a couple of years ago, and I found it quite beautiful. Michael is an Aboriginal Christian man who belongs to a church in Tennant Creek, right in the middle of the Northern Territory. And he said, in Aboriginal culture, skins are really important. It's a system that tells us who we can marry and who we can't marry. In some groups, though, if someone is from the wrong skin, you can't look that person in the eye or you can't say their name out loud, or share any room or space with them. It can cause trouble at times. If someone walks into a building from the wrong skin, someone else may walk out. But in our church here in Tennant Creek, there are no skin customs like that. We do follow good traditional ways, like we respect our elders, but we don't avoid people. That's what Christ has done for us. He's made us one family, so there's none of that here. We have unity in Christ. And that means it doesn't matter about our tribe or our family disputes. We're all one in Christ here. We show love to each other because we know we've been loved. This is God's big project in action. And so as citizens of God's coming kingdom of peace... Let's see the opportunities that come with conflict. Opportunities to work for unity. Opportunities to grow. Opportunities for witness. Let's lean into conflict and work faithfully as ambassadors of reconciliation.